am happy to be back here. Uh, happy to see you guys. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Brandon Watts. They get to, they call me Pastor B. I get the great privilege of serving here as the lead pastor uh, of this church plant. Uh, and uh, I was out last week. I was down in Philadelphia preaching at our sending church or our mother church's uh, anniversary, 12th year anniversary. And as a pastor of a church that's two and a half years old, thinking of a church being 12 years uh, is a great, great privilege and honor to go down there and celebrate God's faithfulness. And let me just say, you know, even as we think about being two and a half years, you know, we really are. Our, our mission statement is that we exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. You think about our church being two and a half years. You go down the street uh, and you there, there's a church called Bridge Street uh, Baptist Church that has been there for they I mean they must have celebrated now two centuries at this point I mean literally they, they started in 1770 something and they got incorporated in 1811 and so you're talking two centuries God has been faithful to this neighborhood by planting churches in this neighborhood and I'm grateful to, to uh, join Jesus and what he has been doing here uh, but let me just say to our first-time visitors, it is good to see you. You could have went anywhere. You probably passed 10,000 churches getting here. And so we are grateful that you decided to come up the steps and hang out with us today. Well, I'm eager to preach the word, so why don't you grab your Bibles and meet me in the book of Matthew. Dr. Kevin Ezell is here. Uh, wave your hand, Dr. Ezell. This is uh, the president of the North American Mission Board. Can we thank God for and his beautiful wife? Amen. Let me, uh, I, I may not get the opportunity to do this again, so let me publicly express my gratitude for the North American Mission Board. Our church, and all of you know that our church is a part of uh, what the work, the Lord, what the, the work that the Lord has been doing through the North American Mission Board in terms of planting churches all throughout, not domestic, all throughout this world. God has been faithful, and a portion of our giving goes back to making sure that the Lord is continuing that work through uh, the resources that you give. So you are a part of something great, something much more. It's just bigger than Bed-Stuy. Your giving really does impact uh, around the world. And so I'm, I'm grateful for you being here, Dr. Ezel. Um, listen, as you turn there, I am uh, really excited about this Spread Love campaign. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about it and lay before you. I've been praying for you uh, and what generosity looks like um, on your hearts, because uh, when we consider the work that God is doing here in Bed-Stuy, we're in, at three services now, and being in three services, uh, you know, it, it can be exhausting on the volunteers, but not even greater than that. You know, God is really, like a couple of weeks ago, three people gave their life to the Lord in our third service. And that's, man, that's the reason why uh, we gather, because we want to make sure that the gospel goes out in a clear way. And so your giving to this capital campaign is only going to help us with a facility. Y'all go ahead and look around. Uh, it's getting tighter and tighter in here. Uh, and not just in here. I invite you guys to ask questions about the kids' space. We need more room for our, our children. And we don't, we take very seriously the opportunity that we have to impart the gospel into young minds. Can you imagine if they grew up and said, man, I heard Jesus while I was in children's church. So we want to make that, uh, that opportunity more accessible for our kids. And so this capital campaign is important. Let me just mark your calendars. October 17th is our dream night, which is really a vision night. You can come and ask all the questions you want about where the money's going. Uh, what, what are we looking to do in terms of, of trying to get into a bigger facility? 
you can ask all the questions you want, and we will uh, hopefully answer those questions for you. So October 17th, if you could do me a favor and be here. All right, let's get to the word of God. I'm eager to preach. Matthew 6, verse number 5. It says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Underline this phrase, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you have received your reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask. I want to preach this uh, afternoon on the topic entitled Instructions on Prayer. Instructions on Prayer. Let us look to the Lord. Uh, Father, your word tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that your word is uh, alive and it's active. And that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And we realize today that we need that, that sword to do surgery on us, particularly do surgery on our prayer lives. I think if we're honest, we go around this room and say, how, how is your prayer life? I think if we're really, really honest, we'll say that we need to do better at being more faithful and more consistent in our heart's posture during prayer. And so, Father, would you teach us today by your word? I pray that I wouldn't add anything to it. I wouldn't take anything away from it. But I'd preach exactly what Jesus was preaching in this Sermon on the Mount. Would you be glorified by our time? May he be glorified and edified. I pray that people would walk out and not remember my name, but remember that Jesus Christ was preached today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let everybody say amen. amen. Instructions on prayer. Uh, when putting together a new piece of furniture, I, I realize that there's really two types of people. There's, the first type is that person that's just serious. I mean, they, they pull out that furniture, they pull it out the box, and uh, they'll pull out the instruction manual, and they'll read the instructions and give it a read over, and then they'll pull out all of those screws. Y'all know it'll be 10,000 screws for a little piece of box that you got to put together. And they'll lay out all those screws in different sizes, and they'll read, and they'll figure out how to put this piece of furniture together based on reading the instructions. Now, they're usually successful. That's my wife. She'll pull out the instructions, and she's typically more successful than I am at building any type of furniture. Now, there's another group, and that other group is more like me. When you get that new piece of furniture, you pull it out the box, you take the instructions, and you throw the instructions away, <laughs> and you know we build the furniture based on the picture on the box. Come on, y'all know y'all just like me when it comes to it. And in, rea in reality, he here's the reality. Most of our prayer lives have been like that. We've tried to mimic what prayer looks like by, based on looking at the picture on the box and looking at someone else's life and say, oh, I want to pray like that. But what does the word of God have to say about your prayer life? What instructions can we gain today by reading the word of God? Now, if you were here for our fourth Wednesday night prayer and Bible study, which was this past Wednesday, I spent a considerable amount of time trying to go through uh, Acts chapter 14, which really laid out four areas that our church needs to grow in. As a young church plant, there, there are areas that we just need to focus on. Now, in Acts chapter 14, verse 21 to 23, there was four things that Paul focused on. 
When Paul and Barnabas would go around to plant churches, the Bible says they, they were in uh, Derby, and when they got there, the Bible says, number one, that they preached the gospel. Okay, how many are very, very clear that our church doesn't preach anything else but the gospel? So we said, man, if we want to be a healthy church, this is what we got to do. We got to be faithful to the gospel. We got to be faithful to what it is and what it is not. And then we kept going through Acts 14, and we looked at what it looks like, as the Bible says, that they made disciples, and then they went around strengthening the disciples. So we said we need a stronger culture of discipleship making. And then we went on, and we kept looking, and the Bible says that they appointed elders, which means that they put structure to the church. And then the fourth thing that we saw with Paul and Barnabas is that the churches that were planted and established devoted themselves to prayer and fasting. And I tried to make a plea in this room and say, listen, we need to do better with our prayer lives. I, I did a little test in, in our Bible study. I said, how many of you would say you're killing it in your prayer life? Nobody's hand went up. I did it in the first service. I said, how many of you would say that you're killing it in your prayer life? No hands went up. Let's try it here. I know we're going to get that one prideful person. How many of you... <laughs> <laughs> How many of you will say that you are killing it in your prayer life? Honestly, I didn't think we would get a hand up. We always can do better at the, this idea of what prayer is. Now, the text is going to tutor us today on what prayer is. Now, what you're not going to see in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to verse 8, is you're not going to see a plea for consistency in prayer. Like it, the, the text isn't talking about being more consistent in your prayer life. The text isn't even talking about the power of prayer. The text is talking about the posture of your heart when you pray. And so I, I think that because the text is going there, that is exactly where we need to stick in our time together today. Now, this this topic of prayer comes smack dead in the middle of the most famous sermon of all. That's the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus spends three chapters long just preaching. I, I love that. I mean, Matthew chapter 5, he starts Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. He doesn't end until Matthew chapter 7, verse 27. And then after he ends, the Bible says that the crowd was amazed. Jesus just taught. He taught on things like retaliation, he taught on things like lust, and he taught on divorce, and all of these great topics. And right smack dead in the middle of this sermon, he stops and he starts to talk and give instructions on prayer. If you keep reading, you'll, you'll see that he doesn't only give instructions on prayer, but you'll see that he models a prayer called the Lord's Prayer. Now, we get this prayer because the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, here's what's interesting. If the disciples who walked with Jesus day in and day out needed to be taught how to pray, they didn't just pick it up by watching him. You and I in this room need to be taught on what prayer is and what prayer is not. And that is exactly what we're going to get in our text today. Why don't you jump in with me? We'll read a little bit and talk a little bit and see what the Lord will say. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So let me lift up the first four words because they do beg for our attention. And when you pray. The reason why this, this stuck out to me earlier this week is because of the repetitive nature. I don't know if you've picked this up. Verse 5 says, and when you pray. Verse 6 says, and when you pray. Verse 7 says, and when you pray. And so Jesus is repeating himself for our purpose. But what stuck me more than the repetitive nature of Jesus saying, and when you pray, is the fact that he does not say, if you pray. 
His audience, look at the assumption Jesus makes. The audience that he is talking to and preaching to, he assumes that they have a prayer life. Now, here's the question that messed me up all week. Can the assumption that Jesus makes to his listeners be true of you today? Can the assumption that Jesus makes that his listeners pray, is that true of you? Jesus expects that if you've trusted in him, you don't, like prayer should be, it should be like breathing. Easy, easier done than not done. Like you don't got to think about breathing. You can just kind of, you inhale, you don't inhale. Like you, you don't think about it. And that's how prayer should be. We should be so faithful to prayer that there's a considerable amount of time that we say at this point in time, and some of y'all got to put it on your calendar. Like if you're that busy, put it on your calendar as an appointment with God. I'm going to spend time in prayer. And then you should be like my grandmother. See, my grandmother, I told y'all at Bible study on uh, Wednesday that my grandmother literally, she would walk to church. And when she would walk us to church, she would literally pray about the streets she would go down. Like she devoted herself to model prayer consistently throughout her day. And that is what prayer should be. So Jesus says here, when you pray, not if. I'm assuming that if if you've trusted in me, if you've given your life to me, if you hear me, I'm, I'm trusting that you are faithful to prayer. And unfortunately, that is not the case with some of us. Let me put a little Bible here. Philippians chapter 4 says it this way. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Can we put another scripture there? Uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Okay, you you still aren't feeling me on this prayer thing. Uh, Psalms chapter 18, verse 6, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. All right, one more. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says it this way. Rejoice always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances over and over and over again. The scriptures are replete and they are pleading with us to pray. So I find the need today to start my sermon where Jesus saw no need to even start. He assumes they are praying. My assumption is we can do better in our prayer lives. So in our text today, Jesus is going to get at us about prayer. And and the reason why this is important is because there are some atheists that do not know God that have better prayer lives than most of us in this room. Do you know in 2004 they did a study and found out that 32% of atheists admitted to praying as a last resort? Now, what is the difference between an atheist and your prayer life? Is that not what we do? We exhaust all avenues. We ask our friends for counsel. We try to see if we can get through the door, the, you know, the, 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 the open door for that job based on our own skills. And you try to, you try to go through life independent, not because that's all prayer is. All prayer is is showing that you are depend, 100 dependent on God to move. And if God doesn't move through prayer, then it won't happen. See, that's what I like about prayer it is prayer shows that you're not independent. And and really, honestly, when it comes to maturity in Christ, see, my sons are getting older. One's 15, one's 12, about to be 13. And I consider them more mature as they become more independent. So you pick out your own clothes. You can can cook. I don't eat their eggs. They just don't know how to do them right yet. (laughs) But they be trying. You know, they be cooking. 
And so I consider them now becoming more independent based on or becoming more mature based on their independence. It's opposite in the kingdom. You don't become more mature by becoming more independent. You become more mature by being dependent on God. And nothing else shows your dependency like prayer. And so we skip out on prayer. And what you're saying is, God, I'm too grown. Too grown for you, God. But, but, but here's the crazy thing. Christians are the only ones that do that. Because Muslims pray five times a day. Y'all hearing me? If you look, if you talk to a Muslim and you say, man, how are you faithful in prayer? Five, say five times a day. Jews typically, traditionally will pray three times a day. I mean, Hindus would use prayer wheels and they fling their prayers up into the atmosphere because they want to catch the supernatural with the natural. Catholics tend to reverence Mary and the saints during prayer. But you and I are the only ones that Jesus Christ has died to give you full access to the throne of God. Yet we are neglectful with prayer. Like, do you realize that God says that you can come confident in Hebrews? He says you can come confidently or boldly before his, before his throne of grace. A holy God doesn't want you to tiptoe into his presence. Because of Christ, you got full access. But yet, we're the only ones that neglect prayer. And so my, my hope and prayer is that we would, we, would, we would really focus on what Jesus says. And when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray, there's an assumption that prayer is absolutely happening in our lives. Now, what else does he say here? Verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Let, let's stop there for a second, because when I, when I think about this idea of a hypocrite and I look at their actions, I was a little confused this week. I said, okay, God, Christ, you called them hypocrites, but look at what they're doing. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. That's a pretty good prayer life. I'm looking at that going, okay, Christ, you said that they're hypocrites, but if y'all came to me and said, listen, I love praying in the center. I love praying in the sanctuary. I love praying in the house of the Lord. I would be like, that's a good place to pray. If you said I go out and pray on the street corners, and street corners here literally means the wide street, which shows a, a high traffic area. So if I'm considering the fact that Jesus is rebuking them, is he rebuking them for the locations they pray? I don't think so. Because it's a good thing to pray in the synagogues. Acts talks about how the disciples went up to the synagogue in the hour of prayer. There was a specific time they had to go. So it's not the location. So maybe it's the physical posture. Look at what the text says. It says, for they love to stand and pray. Maybe Jesus is rebuking them for the fact that they're standing and pray. But if Jesus is rebuking them for not kneeling and praying, half of our prayers go out the window. I mean, the prayer that I just prayed before I started the sermon goes out the window. Jesus isn't rebuking them for standing and praying. In fact, the scriptures give us many examples of men and women that stood during prayer. Hannah stood during prayer. Job stood during prayer. Job chapter 30. And so when you think about the idea of their physical posture, it is not their physical posture. God, Christ is not rebuking them for the location. He's not rebuking them for their posture. Why is he rebuking them? I'm glad I don't have to make this up. Verse 5 tells us. It says, for they love to stand and pray and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Here it is, that they may be seen by others. 
Christ is rebuking them because their prayer isn't to an audience of one. Their prayer is to entertain other people. See, and that's, if we're honest, many of us, when we pray in public, we really aren't praying to God. We're trying to flaw so our neighbor thinks we're deeper than we really are. That's exactly what the hypocrites were doing during this time. They wouldn't go on the street corners and pray because they really wanted a a consistent prayer life with God. They were doing that so that everybody could see how spiritual they were. But good prayer, even in the midst of a busy context, will say, "I I don't just want people to hear me, but I want God to hear me. Now, let me say, there are some times where I come in and I'm just down, I'm depressed, and when I hear somebody else pray, I get, you ever been like that? Somebody else pray and you just get encouraged? See, see, what Jesus is not doing is he's not rebuking all public prayers. He's not rebuking corporate prayer. Why, do, why am I saying that? Because before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, in, in Luke chapter 11, the Bible says he stands before the tomb and he says, I know that you always hear me talking to his father, but I say this on account of these that are listening, that they may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus basically said, I'm praying so that you can hear me, but I'm praying so that others can see that I am the Christ. In other words, he was evangelistic in his prayers. And if you go on to Matthew chapter 14, before he breaks bread and feeds 5,000 people, the Bible says he said a blessing. Okay, he prays in front of 5,000 people. And so Jesus is not rebuking us for Praying in public, what he's saying is even in the midst of praying in public, you must focus in your prayer and make sure your prayer is to God and God alone. That's what he's getting at. So the Bible says here that they are praying so that they may be seen by others. And here's the problem with it. He goes on to say that they have already received their reward. And so if you are praying so that other people can hear it, you've got your reward. The reward is not the answered prayer or the unanswered prayer because I don't know if y'all know this, but unanswered prayers is a blessing. You, you ever prayed something and you look back and you got, thank you, God, for not answering that one. <laughs> you, you ever prayed there like, Lord, let me marry this one. And you look back at it, you like, God, you didn't see. I knew somebody would go up right there. I'm telling you, every prayer that God answers, some, if God answered every one of our fickle prayers, that would not be a blessing. That'd be more of a curse. But thanks be unto God that he listens to our prayer. And and because we're not praying to others, the reward is either answered or unanswered prayers. If you are praying so that others can hear it, God is like, oh, you don't need my reward because you already got it. See, this is why I don't put a lot of stock in people saying, Pastor, that was a great sermon. Like, thank you for the encouragement. But the reason I don't put stock in that, because if I start believing the hype, I'll start riding off the applause of man instead of being faithful to the Lord. So what you need to do in prayer is you need to be faithful to making sure that you are praying to God and God alone. You know, there's two reasons why we don't pray. The first reason we don't pray is, as I was saying earlier, we think we're so independent and we don't need God. The second reason we don't pray, this room is full of millennials. Our church is 92% millennial. Let me promise you, one of the reasons it's hard for us to be consistent in prayer is because of technology. Like, if you can't pray for 30 minutes without checking your Facebook feed, you should close your account and never open it again. Like, you have access to the throne, and you are distracted by Cardi B memes in the midst of prayer? Like, that's one of the main reasons why we don't pray is because we are so distracted. 
You, you ever been praying and you thinking, Lord, did I shut off the iron today? Did I turn the oven off? Did I leave the refrigerator closed? Did I unlock? Did I leave the door open? I did that before. I left the house and left the door wide open. You ever been in prayer and you th- in bed sty? But the Lord covered the house. Two reasons. You're independent and technology. See, I'm not mature enough to pray with my phone by me. I'm just not. I got to put it in another room. I got to put it so I got to turn it off. And if you find yourself texting and responding to everything and checking emails when you got an appointment with the Lord. See, we, we got to be more consistent in our prayers. Here's my question. Do you believe that God exists? Do you believe that he actually answers prayer? Do you believe that he cares about what you are saying to him? Then we got to be more consistent in prayer. Now, what Jesus is doing here, here is he, he starts this conversation of, of telling us how to pray by telling us how not to pray. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners, and they love to pray so that they can be seen. They've received their reward. And then he goes on, and he says in verse 6, but when you pray... I love this. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret for your father who is in secret will reward you. Once again, he is not rebuking us for corporate prayer. You know, we have this idea of I'm going to go to my prayer closet. He's not saying that the only place that you can hear me is when you go and see, that's what I love about prayer, because you can be in the midst of Midtown with nine million people around you and get immediately to the throne of grace. You ain't got to make an appointment. You ain't got to hit God's assistant and try to figure out if you could pick a time next week. You can be in traffic on the Jackie Robinson and get to the throne of grace. So he's not saying specifically pick a location in the house because the reality is the average square footage in New York is 700 square feet. Sometimes you ain't got a space in the house. Oh, y'all not being real. Y'all living in mansions? This capital campaign going to be all right. There's a story of this lady. This is a true story. This, this widow. And this widow had eight kids in a three-bedroom apartment. And uh, she, she had a hard time trying to find a specific location in the house. And so what she would do is every morning she'd get in the middle of the living room and she would put a cloth over her head. And all of the kids in the house knew that mama was in her prayer closet, even though she wasn't physically at a location. And sometimes with the chaos and the busyness of life, that's what we got to do. We got to pull out an invisible prayer closet and we got to say, Lord, I need access to you right now because I need you. And that's what prayer is. Let's keep going here. He, he goes on and gives us some more good information here on prayer. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you. Verse 7, but when you pray, do not heap up, I love this, empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Now, Jesus starts out by rebuking the hypocrites. And now in verse 7, he moves on from the hypocrites to the Gentile babblers, the, the pagan Gentile babblers who only thought they were being heard when they give God lengthy, long, wordy prayers. Now, Jesus isn't rebuking long prayers, but, but I can say it doesn't take much to get to God. 
It didn't take many words to get to God. Sometimes we think the deeper we are with, and the more eloquent we are, and, and, and you know, the more we use words that God is like, okay, I'll accept that prayer. But when I, when I looked at the Lord's Prayer, which is verses 9 to 13, when I looked at the Lord's Prayer, I did the math. You don't got to do it. I read it in 17 seconds. 52 words is all that God gave us, all that Christ gave us as a model of prayer. Yet we think we got to pray for hours and hours. Now, I'm not rebuking you saying, listen, if you got an hour that you can pray every day, praise God. But it doesn't take all that. You can get to him in 17 seconds according to the Lord's prayer. And so the many words that he's talking about really is, is vain repetition. It's not, he's talking about focus during our prayers. And many of us lack focus during our prayers. We start out praying, and then we, somewhere in the prayer, we start thinking about and worrying about a whole bunch of life issues instead of focusing on the prayer. And so we start to use what the Bible says is many words are vain repetition. Now, I don't know about y'all. One of the worst conversations to be in is in a conversation with a, with a person that won't stop talking. Yeah, y'all ever been there? We're like, can I get a word in? Can, can I just slip a, just a, like a little comment in? And this is how you know. I'm going to help you out this morning. This is how you know if you're the person that dominates the conversation. If the person you're talking to, if you do give them a moment to talk back, and you're, autom- you're not listening, you're automatically thinking of your response, you probably talk too much. And in prayer, God is like, you ain't got to keep talking and talking. Sometimes the best contribution to prayer is listening. Sometimes you just got to shut up and say, Lord, I done made my plea. I done gave you my petition. I done gave you adoration and praise. Now I just got to shut up and hear your answer. So sometimes the best way to pray for me is pray with my Bible sitting open in my face. Because for me, it's a conversation. Because the way he speaks back to me is through his word. So I want to pray the scriptures. And I want, I want God to speak that back to me. And don't think every moment that you pray is a climactic moment. Sometimes you ever pray and you be like, God, I feel like that hit the ceiling and came right back down. <laughs> but but you, you, you don't know. Like God hears. A, a good prayer is you want God to hear everything, but you want him to answer only what's according to his word. Yeah. So sometimes those anticlimactic moments might be more selfish prayers than there are being aligned with his will. So he says here in the text, he rebukes the Gentile babblers. He says, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now he goes on to show us who we're praying to. And I'll end here. Verse 8. Do not be like them. Here it is. Your father. So in other words, you're not praying to some friend that has the ability to be shady during the conversation. You ever sent a text message to somebody and you're like, man, I don't know how they're going to receive that. And they don't text you back for hours. (laughs) Or you get that text message, you, you send them the text, and you see that bubble come up on your phone, but they actually never send the message, and you worry that they... Not. See, God isn't like that. The Bible just called him our... He's a caring, loving father that wants to hear from his children. And the problem in prayer is, see, we think that we're praying to a God that is angry at us, but you're praying to a God that wants to hear you. What relationship works with no communication? If my wife and I stop talking, we need counseling. We need help. And the reality is most of our prayer lives need help. Because you are talking to a good and a gracious and a loving God. You know how I know he's good and loving? Because the text should read that you're praying to God and you're an enemy. But the fact that you can call him father and even greater, he calls you son and daughter, is a pointer to the gospel. 
See, the gospel, see, this is what I love about prayer. Prayer points us to the cross because on the cross, Christ comes down from heaven. And when he comes down from heaven, where he's being worshipped and adored, he puts on an additional nature called humanity. And he puts on humanity and he breathes air. I love this, that he created, goes to a cross and lays on a piece of wood that he created, gets slapped and struck in his face and the beard pulled out of his face by a hand that he created. And he does it all because he knew that the only way that you and I would be accepted is by his work that he did on the cross for you and I. And now and now we sit back over 2000 years later and we have direct access to call God our father. What a privilege. What an honor it is. And I know some of you have grown up with, without your father, and, and so you don't even know what the love of, the, of a father is. But the fact that he lets you communicate with him is proof that the cross worked. Here's my, my deepest prayer and, and my worry. This is my worry, that you'd walk out of here today and you keep the prayer life that you have. But you walk out and you'd be like, man, that was a nice little sermon. You kind of strung some things together, and now I'm going to walk out, I'm going to live my life and do. And you'll, you just go through a life that you never pray. But my, my hope and prayer is that Jesus' assumption in the text, when you pray, my hope is that that would be convicting to us enough that we go out of here and literally try to develop a better prayer life. And we ask people to hold us accountable. You need somebody in your life that says, when is the last time you prayed? You need somebody in your life that's going to say, did you telling them all these plans that you have? And they say, OK, did you talk to the Lord? What, what did the Lord say? And don't just leave it there. See, when people say to me, when they give me their ideas, I say, okay, did you pray about it? They say, yeah, I prayed about it. I say, well, what did the Lord say? Because it's a communication. So my fear is that you walk out of here and do nothing with it. But my hope, my deepest desire is that you would lean on the fact that Christ has died to give you access to a good father. And because you have access to a good father, you would love communicating with him. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I want to pray for somebody in this room. Somebody that, if they're honest, they know that they haven't been faithful to you in prayer. If we're honest, we know that we've gone through life and we've made decisions and we didn't consult you. If we're honest, we've talked to others and we've asked others for advice, but we did not seek you. And so the beginning of this prayer, really, Lord, is praying that you would forgive us. Forgive us for neglecting communication with you and Lord even if we get more consistent in our prayer lives Lord I pray that we would apply what we heard in the text that we would be focused in our prayers that we would be intentional that we wouldn't just mindlessly approach your throne like Lord when I think about when I think about in ancient times if someone would come before the king without a thoughtful request that they would be taken out of there but Lord, we approach your throne before you and we don't have thoughtful, intentional prayers. Help us. I pray that we would pray over our prayers. That we pray for more of a, of a consistent and a, a heart-postured prayer that we are focused on you and you alone. Father, we thank you for the work that you've done through Jesus Christ, which gives us access to you. May we take full access and come confidently before your throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace in the time of need. Amen.